Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Good afternoon and welcome to GCSE English Revision Pods. We have made it. We are at our final Power and Conflict podcast. Huzzah! I can't remember what life was like before we started doing Power and Conflict Filled podcast. with less conflict yeah. and more power. More powerful. Well, we've, we've powered through, I suppose, haven't we? And we've arrived at episode nine of this particular series where we are going to do the final couple of poems that we haven't yet covered. But we just I wanted to have a quick word about the way you should use these because obviously the way we've been comparing the poems together is not the only way that those poems could be used or could come up on the exam. So as helpful as it will be for you to listen to all these podcasts and download all the handouts, which you can do in the bio of the podcast, it's also very, very important to think about other questions that could relate to these poems and other ways you would use them. Yeah, and I hope what we've done is model to you how you can approach the structure of an essay. So looking at those kind of three comparative sections, thinking about your thesis that underlines it, and therefore you might be able to do the same, produce your own handouts on on other questions. Absolutely, and thinking about how stuff that we've done could be twisted slightly to address another question, all that stuff would be great. I suppose what we're saying is don't listen to these podcasts and think this is the only way... me done. Everything exactly. planned. Yes, that would be that would be a mistake, a I mistake. think, wouldn't it? Yes. But anyway. So today we're going to look at the question um, on checking out my history and we're going to compare it with the emigre. So the question we're going to go for is this. Compare the ways ideas about identity are explored in checking out my history and one other poem from Power and Conflict. Okay. And what have you gone for? Um, we've gone for the emigre. Okay, so, I mean, it was kind of obvious wasn't it? it was the only one we hadn't <laughs> yeah. covered, so I don't think I've built much suspense there. But yes, yeah. we've, we're comparing it with the emigre. Why? I think these two poems are, go really, really well together because they both engage at quite a complex level about cultural identity. So the things that make up your own who you are. Yeah, yeah, they both do talk on that, don't they? And I think the there's different elements of it to do with kind of place and to do with what we're taught in schools become absolutely key, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean... My thesis for this, the setting up the comparative point, I think, is that both the emigre um, by Carol Rumans and John Agard's Checking Out My History engage with the complexities of identity. Right. Focusing on the importance of an individual's cultural heritage. So neither poem's making a simplistic point. They're both right. looking, looking at the, the complexities behind identity, and especially identity when you've move to a new place right and I think then the difference I've gone for however whilst Agard's poem centres on his anger at the white hegemony um, and an education system that is entirely elided black history Rumen's focus instead on an individual who's trying to engage with their own feelings about their cultural roots right so Agard is angry at more of a sort of structural social kind of order really where history or the history that you're taught in schools is incredibly biased towards white history and basically ignores 
um, key figures from black history. Yeah. Is that right? Whereas what Rumens is engaging with, she's, it's, it's, she's, she does talk about the they, the people that are perhaps prejudiced towards her, but she, she seems more focused on herself and her own attitude towards her own identity and her own memories of the country from which she moved. Okay, that should give us a nice uh, a nice thing to go on then. So let's so, move on to your first yeah, topic. There's sentence. a couple of key vocabulary words I want to quickly outline first of all. Okay. Um, the first one is 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 the word white white hegemony or hegemony, both mm-hmm. are acceptable pronunciations. This is um, just a, a noun phrase for white be- people being in a position of power. You can right. also use that word in other contexts. For example, a masculine hegemony could be men being in a position of power. Um, mm. uh, so it's quite a useful one actually across some of your other literature texts as well. So used when power is sort of monopolised or owned one entirely group. by yeah. one group of people, yeah. right. And the, the second one I want to talk about is of course diaspora communities, which I think are cl- crucial here. Okay. Um, these are communities of people who are originally from someone else. Okay. So uh, immigrant communities that have moved to a place. So for example, the South Asian diaspora of East London, um, who come to our school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, people whose families it might not be them that's moved but it might be their parents or their grandparents okay, so, we so talk it, of them as a diaspora community it's the word, the word to describe a community that has moved from somewhere and kind of reassembled yeah, in, a, in a new place yeah and so so my my initial point therefore my initial point of comparison was that that both the, the speakers in both poems they appear to feel that the idea identity of diaspora communities is somehow threatened. Okay, that's interesting. So you're saying that but both of them are employing the same idea that having become part of a community in a new place, that community feels like um, it's under threat, that there's there's a danger to it. Yeah, and we see this in the emigre, um, which is an experience about a, a woman talking about so an emigre is of course someone who has arrived in another country who's started okay, a new so life. Okay, so the title there. of the poem is someone who has come to a new country and started a new life there. And and she begins by saying there was once a country. Okay. So it's a phrase that's kind of evocative of fairy tales mm. or of, of you know some uh, it's Sounds just a bit like once upon a time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's as if it's not really real. It's just this mm. fragility about the place as if it exists only in her imagination. Mm-hmm. And it suggests straight away this the idea that even her memory of her own cultural identity, her own cultural heritage is somehow perhaps under threat. It's, it's nothing more than a story, she tells herself. Like it's something you can believe in when you were a child, but in the cold, hard light of the adult world, you might not be able to, to yeah, believe that yeah. anymore. Okay. And this is kind of echoed in the metaphors, which emphasise its fragility. It's um, that Her memories are depicted as a delicate paperweight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the, the, the country is personified as being sick, with tyrants and in even time itself is described with imagery that's evocative of war it, time rolls its tanks right you went through quite a lot quite quickly yeah there. so let's go let's zoom in on a few of them yeah so you've got the idea of it that the city is a delicate paperweight right the memories yeah. are a delicate paperweight why aren't paperweights quite strong? They're, they're strong, but they're made of glass. So they're, they're fragile. Mm. So, so you can see into them, you can hold them, they, they hold down paper. But 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 although you know, although it's strong, it can break. It can break. It's, in fact, it's probably quite easily shattered, yeah. isn't it? In spite, perhaps, appearing it's, it's, strong. It's kind of brittle. Brittle is quite a good word to describe the paper. Yeah. Perhaps her memories, like a paperweight, are brittle, seemingly strong, but, but actually broken. fragile, easily broken. Um, and that'd be a great bit of AO2 because remember what we said a lot about a little is better than a little about a lot I don't think we ever have said that but it's a great thing to say I'm glad you have I've said, said it, it before in my head and I'm now <laughs> saying it out loud it's, it's a, yeah it's, it's a fantastic thing because what you're being marked on is the depth of your languaging masses how much you explore them so I mean looking at the second one the idea of the city being the, the, the country being sick with tyrants yeah um, it's implying that war is somehow a disease a, a pathogen mm. something that is that is making them ill right um, and, and 
and, and that this fragile, delicate paperweight of her memories of this positive place has, has been distorted, sickened by, um, by tyrants, by rulers who have, have changed the place that she grew up in. I really like what you're saying there, but I think we need to be a little bit careful because in the topic sentence we're talking about how the identity is under threat. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is fantastic, but our students need to be clear that this analysis you've just done is talking about the identity yeah. based on where she comes from. It's the, the identity based on... Yeah. Um, her home country, which is now under threat, that is what is threatened in these particular yeah. analyses. It's not her being threatened yeah. where Very she is threat. now, although that comes later in the yeah. poem. That particular bit is about her heritage being threatened very yeah? very good I think that's a really important point to, to mention mm. but then and that just to bring us back to our final point about um, these diaspora communities being threatened in the emigre that actually there is as you said they are threatened by the they of the city that she moves right, to right this un- impersonal pronoun the they the faceless they yeah. of the new city and what do they, they say to her they accuse me of absence she says they circle me they accuse me of being dark in their free city which is an interesting metaphor given the connotations of race around that word dark yeah. they mutter death this, this sets up this binary model, so this model of, of them and us, of two things, mm. in which she f- seems to feel separate, threatened, encircled, surrounded. And actually, she, as well as herself feeling threatened, she's also treated, it seems in these words, that she's treated as the one who is the threat. If you see what I mean, they're sort of, you could read into that line of they accuse me of being dark in their free city. Like they're saying, even though they're threatening her, they're saying that she's the one that brings the danger. She's the one who brings this. And of course, in a, in a, in a world where we have seen in, um, you know, given this post-Brexit world, there has been lots of, lots of talk in the media that's engaged with this fear yeah. of people from other communities, people from diaspora communities, mm. um, that, uh, that unfortunately has been part of, of, of everyday conversation. So I think very sadly it's, it's, we're seeing this played out in the modern very political much, discourse. Very much. I think this is an obvious comparison here with checking out my history. All right, in fact, you're, you're segueing, are you? He uses the same technique. Fantastic. With this um, juxtaposition between the the them and the the me, mm-hmm. but only of course he writes them as dem, using uh, so he spelled D E M, which is a deliberate use of a phonetic spelling. Phonetic when you spell something the way you want it to be pronounced. Yeah, which kind of visually represents his Caribbean accent mm-hmm. and his dialect, and shows him to not be conforming to the the rules of of spelling and grammar set out by the white hegemony. Right. So, so even in the way in which he he writes the poem, um, he's He's, there seems to be this pride yeah um, uh, even even when talking about how he's threatened by this white curriculum that has, has hidden his identity he, there seems this pride in his language it, now it's, it's a great point again I think we've got to just check ourselves a little bit because it's very very complicated what you're saying in how you're relating it to your topic sentence yeah. because really the way like you say that sense of pride in the in writing the language that way and defying Um, the sort of way he's been educated to write that goes in order to see how that talks about him being threatened you've actually got to look really deeply into that and say that he was he's doing that in retaliation to something isn't he and that's not immediately in Paris right you have to look very deeply to see where the threat is in that so you have to really emphasise when you're writing this point that Mm. this is all about the them He's engaging the start of the poem with the them who are the people who have written this white curriculum. And he feels yeah. threatened by this because it has not empowered him. And therefore his response yeah. to being threatened is Fantastic. to write in I'm this with way. you. I'm with you all the way. Right, so what's your second point 
well, in terms of checking yeah, out my history. I think the more obvious metaphor of how he talks about how the history curriculum has, has aimed to, to bandage up me eye with my, my own history, blind me to my own identity. I think that's uh, the bandage, uh, bandage up Apologies my, the pronunciation my, there, my own history is a fantastic one to look at because it gives you that um, chance for a bit of um, double analysis that we like, that we always go on yeah. about, the, the double meaning. In the one sense, they're bandaging up his eye they're blocking his eye so he can't see it but if we look deeper at that word bandage we could say that a bandage is something that's supposed to help you and i think we can read into this that there's a very very cynical attack here coming against him because it's almost like people are saying oh look don't worry you know i'll I'll bandage you up i'll help you it's as if they're acting like they're helping him but the reality of the situation is that they're actually using that helpful thing the bandage to to harm him well it's actually engaging with the hypocrisy of colonialism so colonialism is of course um or imperialism we could might be a better word to use Mm. here imperialism is the belief that colonizing another country is done out of a belief that you are helping that country so so the the idea that the british empire helped india i brought its railways so that's that's an imperial view of the world yeah and what, what he could be arguing is that there is a proxy for it because why did why was Britain really in West Africa for, for, for money yeah, for the exploitation of ivory yeah. Yeah. Um, and why, why was Britain in India for like simply for the exploitation of the natural resources yeah. so actually this this no, this metaphorical idea of him being bandaged with his own history engages with that hypocrisy of imperialism good. the idea that actually that you've been taught by history that the British Empire was a good thing it was there to help it was you. there to help those yeah. Africans you know right. or those you know those Caribbeans when, and of course wh- why were there black Africans in the Caribbean because of slavery right so I think the bandage is an incredibly deep thing that they can go into in a lot of detail there it's a real stretch and challenge point on the one sense quite a simplistic reading of it another goes much deeper and gives you a lovely segue into quite a lot of AO3 right yeah definitely and I think time being against us and it being Friday afternoon and all that we I want to get we should, home we should power and conflict into uh, stanza, uh, para, stanza two paragraph two you're like the kids yeah. that's what they do <laughs> This poem is really paragraphs. Don't say that. Poems have stanzas. I shall never say it again. Anyway. So, um, so, in the two poems, Rumens and Agard also engage with the power of an individual's cultural identity through the use of light imagery. Oh, yeah, you've done that thing where you've brought a language device into your topic Ooh, sentence. I love it when we do that. Risky, risky Ooh. business. Are you sure you can pull it off? Uh, yes, I'm quite excited. Right, um, so, uh, I want to compare the use of light imagery by both... Uh, by both poets to highlight the importance of cultural identity. But let's look at the emigration. Should we just jump in very quickly before you do that and say, in terms of what you've done there, and students can see it at the handout, of course, that they can the download. Handouts, the, the handout. <laughs> the handout, which can be downloaded from the description of this podcast. That thing of putting a language device into the topic sentence can work fantastically well. Yeah, but be careful, because sometimes... I do see some students that do awful topic sentences, like both poets use many techniques to yeah. show power. That's the that's, danger, That's the it? danger. You, you, don't, you can't be vague. If you've you're got to be specific. In, there you go. Super specific. And so the specific, we're looking at the, the imagery of light, the motif of light. So a motif yeah. is a repeated image. Good. So, I like it. So in the emigre, let's, let's first of all trace this motif. Mm-hmm. She, her memory of her country is sunlight clear Mm -hmm. she talks of being branded by an impression of sunlight she says that her her language tastes of sunlight Mm -hmm. um, and even the negativity of those who fear her she says um my shadow falls 
as evidence of sunlight. So, so even the, sunlight even, burns throughout the poem, yeah, basically. So it burns. So let's let's zoom in on some of these. Yeah, so, I like branded. Should we yeah, start there? Yes, definitely. So branded, of course, branding is something that is seemingly negative. Yes, it's you know it's burning someone to um, to stamp something onto their skin. You normally brand cattle. You but might in have this done this case, in your upbringing in Cornwall. <laughs> that is a very uh, very judgmental thing to say so I don't, I don't, I don't say it's a negative thing so, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing some cattle branding a hobby of mine when I was young <laughs> um, but yes the idea of being branded um, I think is is fascinating like you say because you've got you've got this whole thing here right about something that stays with you it's not it's, it's not burned talking about into her skin, skin. It's, but, it, but it's not hurt her it's staying with her in this yeah. incredibly positive way yeah yeah um, taste of sunlight is that synesthesia yes I think it is a bit of synesthesia which is a bit of a callback to a previous episode I hope you all were listening go to go back and listen to them so synesthesia is of course when you mix up the senses yep. so the idea of it tasting of sunlight shows how you know her whole body is, is caught up in this memory right. of this place and of course the connotations of sunlight itself is positivity yeah. summer um, it shows that her memories of her country are are unambiguously positive even when she looks at the shadows of her time in her new city mm. she sees this darkness as evidence of a light it's a, a beautiful metaphor exactly that. her shadow could not fall if this burning light was not behind her so and even that... the bad things that she's experiencing yeah. are simply to her evidence that that this this her cultural heritage is so beautiful so powerful exactly. so filled with light and her light but the light that burns behind her of this cultural heritage if there wasn't that behind her if she didn't have her history and her identity the shadow could not fall right yeah, and I think this is a lovely segue to checking out my history. Yeah. Um, because, of course, um, this is a poem that's divided into these different sections. It's very visually striking, isn't yeah. it? Uh, so out my there's, there's three italicised sections. So they're put in italics, um, which are moments when Agar celebrates figures from black history. Yeah. And when he, if you're lucky enough to have seen him perform this poem, he's an amazing speaker, he actually sings these. Mm, there's, a, there's a video on YouTube of him Oh, it's doing, fantastic. And if, if you get a chance to see poetry live, Agar is just, he's a, such a performer. He's yeah. fantastic. Mm. Um, and uh, in these moments, there is a metaphor of light that runs through each of them. Right. In each case where he celebrates a figure who means a great deal to him from history, yeah. they're always described in terms of light. Yeah, so let's start off with... Um, um, can you pronounce his name? Toussaint Louverture. Yeah, Toussaint Louverture. Um, he, apologies, of my dear listeners, for um, my terrible pronunciation. Um, he is described as a beacon mm-hmm. of the Haitian Revolution. Right. So if we look briefly at the AO3, which is on your handout, so please do look at this. Mm-hmm. He was, of course, an incredibly important figure because he defeated Napoleon Bonaparte, widely regarded as one of the greatest military leaders in history. Yes. He was a slave. Mm. And he led he led Haiti to become an independent republic, abolishing slavery, defeating this great French military leader. And it was the, am I right in thinking it was the only completely successful slave revolution? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's an incredibly important figure, an incredibly yeah. powerful figure. Um, uh, and so this this metaphor of him as a beacon shows him shining out as a, a symbol of hope. Mm. A beacon to is a big kind of fire, typically. Isn't but it's it? also a, a fire that or... passes on a message. Yes. So when the Spanish Armada arrived on the British coast in the Elizabethan era, beacons mm. were lit to warn London of the arrival of the Spanish ship. So a beacon symbolises not just light but also a message. So yeah. the idea of of, of, of a tour as a, as a as a metaphorical message yeah. is that he is a symbol of what can happen when um, the black community comes together and, and fights the oppression. Right. Again, symbolised by light. Yeah, symbolised by light. Um, the same light imagery we see also with um, Nanny de Maroon. Mm-hmm. 
um, who is of course um, uh, a figure, an important figure in Jamaican history. Yeah. She led the Maroons who, um, in in a rebellion against British rule. So right. another figure of, of 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 slaves rising up against her, uh, her knowledge of the terrain. I think was the thing, wasn't it? Yeah. She, she knew the mountains so well yeah. that no matter how many soldiers they threw at her she was always able to try out yeah. because of her, her so, local knowledge so the light imagery that she has used is she's described as a firewoman yeah um, and the obvious kind of that elemental metaphor so an element is like you know fire earth air water so this this elemental metaphor highlighting her power mm. Um, and then, of course, Mary Seacole, who I love. And if you get a chance to read her autobiography, um, it is amazing. Perhaps not until after your exams. <laughs> Maybe after the exams. Yeah, but, yeah. but it is really, really good. Yes. Um, so she, of course, was um, uh, a Jamaican woman who, cha- who travelled to the Crimea to tend to British soldiers. Yeah. And whilst Florence Nightingale, the white nurse, was mm. remembered by everyone, she was largely written out of history and, until recently. She's metaphorically described, with the light imagery, of a healing star. Mm. So again... All of this imagery sets these figures up as 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 positive people who, for Agard, have um, impacted positively on his cultural identity. He he recognises people he can look up to. Yeah, people who aren't just part of this white curriculum people that he was who taught give at school. Him power and sense of his own identity. And if we can come back to that point I made at the start of this paragraph, what you hopefully see there is that we had so much about light imagery with these two poems that we were confident in putting light imagery into the topic sentence that's when you can those are the moments when you can use don't risk it if you only got a tiny little thing exactly it should only be if you're thinking to yourself my goodness there's so much about light here this runs through both poems this is fantastic this deserves its own paragraph if you're thinking oh there's a little bit of it don't don't risk that um, so our final paragraph then um, this is quite a long essay so I'm going to make this quite a short paragraph I think yeah um both speakers, whilst they are seemingly empowered by their respective cultural identities, um, in the emigre, the speaker acknowledges that this is in spite of the grim realities of what's happened to our country. So, so mm. Agard is simply celebrating these amazing figures from black history. Yeah. Whereas actually, there's, this, there's these mixed feelings, this ambivalence in, in mm. rooms. that She's celebrating her heritage, but she's acknowledging that perhaps there are negative things that have happened to the yeah. place where she was born. It's interesting, isn't it, that she, can, she finds her power very much, and I think those words, in spite of, are absolutely key. She acknowledges that bad things are happening back in this place that gives her her identity, and yet... It can't, it can't quell the flame. It can't. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, thank you. It can't stop. It can't stop the, um, the 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 power that she draws from that place. Yeah, and I think so. Just single single quotation from checking out my history, which we'll look at. He ends the poem saying, "But now I checking out my own history. I carving out my identity." Mm. So I think that verb carving is so powerful. It's an act of an act of agency, an act of his choice. He's mm. creating himself rather than being created by this white curriculum. And carving out it, it really it really does wonderful justice to what he's saying. I think because the uh, carving is difficult, it's intricate, it takes time, but it creates something beautiful, it, and it creates something permanent as well. Typically, when you're carving yeah. something you're left with something that will stay you're not drawing on paper you're, you're creating out of marble or stone this own identity exactly yeah so it really perfectly sort of sums up how all of these figures that he's explored give him so much power to the point where he's able to carve this new indestructible identity for himself yeah what about emigre then how are you going to move this along okay so if i was moving this along to emigre i suppose she says a lot of things that hint at how bad the place that she came from has become. One of these, quite an obvious, perhaps metaphor, is the idea that she never saw that November 
in her old city. So it could, have, of course, be referring to a literal time when something bad happened. Yeah. Perhaps a revolution or a coup. But I see this more as a symbol. The summer is over. The summer November's is over. November's that it's grim autumn. month where, yeah. God, I hate November. Awful month. Except oh, except for my, my son's birthday. Um, no, which, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not so entirely. From now on, it's going to be a great month. Yeah. Starting um, next year. Sorry, Max, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, he, he's only he, one. He, he doesn't understand. He won't so, be. Um, yet. <laughs> uh, so, um, but she also, I think in the final stanza, she personifies um, her city as a vulnerable child. Yeah. And got, I comb its hair, I love its shining eyes. And so it, that's it, really different to what Agard said, isn't it? Because yeah. he he was drawing power from these incredibly powerful figures, these yeah. people who did amazing things, these people who started revolutions, who defeated armies that were infinitely better prepared yeah. and better resourced than them. Whereas her city... Her cultural heritage is something she has to protect. It even yeah. hides behind her. Right. Her so, it, it's weak, it's childlike, and yet it still gives her so much power. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think that really finishes our essay, because I think the conclusion yeah. is, is both poets are engaging with the the importance of history and cultural mm. identity but but uh, but whilst one is this celebratory poem um uh, you know agard is 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 empowered by black history um actually what rooms is engaging with a bit a bit more is actually how sometimes you in acknowledging the grim realities of what might have happened it doesn't have place. to stop you having that power just because there's bad things happening doesn't mean that place shouldn't give you a sense of identity and belonging the light can't shine through exactly like tissue like your, like your favourite metaphor of all time <laughs> well I think that hits the two but I really enjoyed that I really enjoyed that one yeah I think I'm actually two a little my... bit sad that we finished Power and Conflict after no, that sir. so we're going to move on to Unseen Poetry next yeah next podcast is going to be a bit of a different format Mr. Podca- uh, Mr. Mr. Podcast, podcast <laughs> as they call that's me a, that's how you're now knowing um, Mr. Forster is going to choose a poem that I have never read before and then what I'm going to write a series of questions on the handout mm. and then what we'll do is we'll explore not only the poem that we're going to analyse but also how to approach a poem that you've never seen before yeah and we'll, we'll hopefully by me having not read it we're hoping to kind of create that live aren't we yeah I mean you're not exactly like our students but Whether I'm, I'm a tiny bit up <laughs> marginally yeah, yeah marginally better I said below but yeah uh, <laughs> okay so please feel free to follow us on twitter at G Revision Pod. contact us on the email at englishrevisionpod at gmail no, in gmail.com? Yeah. Englishrevisionpod at gmail.com. Send us your email, send us your requests. We are working through things as quickly as we can. And we hope you have a lovely weekend. Bye.